Okay, so our scripture today is uh, from Micah 6, chapter 8, which I had a moment ago, which I now have again. The word of the Lord. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us what to do, how to live. And we just pray in these few minutes, Father, you would speak to us uh, deeply and personally about the exciting ways that you want to involve us in your work of justice in this world. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, well, good morning. I was excited when I, when I realized I was going to get to do this on Jazz Sunday which I think fits perfectly. Um, you know, justice sometimes can seem like a heavy thing, and we, especially if we add the word social before it, social justice, it's wonderful, but if I think of the color that I put with social justice, it's always kind of gray, black and white. You know, I get, get real serious when I think about it. And really, God's vision of social justice is multicolor, technicolor, rainbow. Um, actually, Micah, there's another verse just before this in chapter four that is really important, I think, in, in understanding chapter six. And Micah prophesied, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, excuse me, as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it and many nations shall come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And this, uh, a vision of a mountain rising up in the desert and people streaming to it is actually repeated several times in the Old Testament and is repeated by Isaiah who lived at the same time as Micah. So this was actually a word that was going around at the time. And Isaiah says even more, actually has several chapters where he lays out who those people are that are streaming to the mountain. And it's the poor and the oppressed and the needy. It's the people that were uh, the least liked in society. It's everybody is streaming to that mountain, and on that mountain, there's gonna be healing, and there's gonna be everybody coming together. All those divisions are broken down that people have put between themselves. All those family, family relationships that are broken are healed. All those uh, diseases and different sufferings that people have gone through are taken care of on that mountain, and most of all, on that mountain, we get to be with God together forever, and that's, Micah's vision as he talks about social justice or justice. Um, I'm probably going to say both of those. Uh, justice actually is the word we see in the Bible. We've had to over the last 100, 150 years kind of add the word social to it because justice in our society became more of an individual concept. It was like what I did right or wrong was kind of how we thought of justice. Justice to Micah and whenever it's used in the Bible is talked about in a community sense. It's the justice that we have in our community for all peoples. So we had to add that word social, it's like society to it just to make clear what we're talking about, justice for all peoples. But Micah had this wonderful vision, so when we're gonna talk about justice today, I want you to capture that vision that God has. He has a great, great future. You know, I grew up in kind of a fundamentalist church that was all about getting saved. Every sermon was about how to get saved, how not to go to hell, how to go to heaven. 
We didn't talk about much else. No social justice or justice sermons, none of it in that church. So I was probably 25 as a Christian before it first, you know, hit me, oh, something's supposed to happen here on earth. God's transforming. And there's this wonderful technicolor future. I just had this vague sense of some heaven spiritual somewhere. And I started to learn, no, God's transforming the whole earth right now. So I want you to start capturing kind of a vision for that as, as we, we talk through this. Um, I also want you to uh, ask yourself two questions. And one is, um, where has somebody shown you compassion or grace in your life? Where has somebody shown you compassion or grace in your life? Um, and the other question uh, is, where have you experienced injustice or somebody close to you has experienced injustice? So kind of hold that in your, in your head as well. So, um, well, speaking of Jazz Sunday, yesterday I went to a funeral. So it was an African-American funeral in the St. John neighborhood where uh, Julie and, and my family lives. This is an African, historically African-American neighborhood. The funeral was at the uh, St. John Tabernacle, which is the home uh, uh, facility for the St. John Missionary Baptist Association. It's one of the oldest, it's about 150 years old, oldest Baptist associations in Texas. All of the African-American churches in Central Texas, or most of them at least, are part of uh, the, this uh, St. John Association. So uh, a man named Benny Williams, actually a neighbor on our street, who died of a stroke last week, and this was his funeral. And lots of people were gathered there, and so many of these people were people who had been the life of the St. John community for decades and decades, many of whom had experienced injustice in their lives. You know, St. John, uh, where we lived, did not have paved streets until the late 1970s. That's in Austin, Texas. We had a neighborhood with dirt streets. It did not have electricity for every house. It did not have running water services in St. John. There was actually still a pump that a lot of people in St. John went to to get water. That's in America, that's in the 1970s, that's Austin, Texas. That is injustice. And a lot of uh, covenant members actually in the 70s stood up as part of a movement to get that changed in St. John. So we can be, you know, we can be proud of that, but not proud of the fact that, of the injustice in this African-American neighborhood. Well, a lot of people there were people that had grown up in that, so we heard stories um, during, the, uh, during the funeral, from, and, and one of our neighbors who's a poet and historian, she wrote a wonderful poem and read that about growing up in St. John. Um, but I was really struck by uh, one of the songs. By the way, I get emotional, so I'm always on the verge. I, it's more excitement about this than anything else. But um, this, this song that was sung by a soloist, and the song basically... The words were about how there have been ups and downs, but God has been good to me. God has been good to me. And I thought to myself, <clears throat> you know, all of these, sorry, um, injustices, and yet the message in the service is God has been good to me. These are people who've embraced God's vision for the future and who say, the white man, the black man, the brown man, the brown woman, the Asian, whoever, we're not in charge. We're not writing it. We may do right and wrong things to each other, but God is in charge. No matter what's been done, God is in charge. And that's 
what, came, what they were expressing. God has been good to me. So, but in the meantime, while God's being good, we want to be agents of change. We want to be on the right side with God. You know, it's going to turn out okay. God wins in the end. Do you know that? You know the end of the story? God wins. Jesus broke the power of sin and death. But in the meantime, we can be on the right side or the wrong side of what God's trying to do in this world. We can be in the stream of his work or we can be standing on the sidelines watching others be in the stream of that. And it's different for every one of us. And that's why I asked you the question, where has somebody shown you compassion and where have you experienced injustice? Because it's different for all of us. For Julie and I, we work in the field of education and educational justice. So we work with a lot of schools in Austin that um, struggle and neighborhoods that struggle. And we work to find practical ways for the kids to do better, for the communities to do better, and for those kids to get the education that they, that they need. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so I want to back up just a moment. Um, so there's a, you know, there's something called compassion and something called justice. So this is compassion, and Julie uses this uh, uh, metaphor a lot. I'm walking along a river, and someone yells out from the river, and they're struggling and they're drowning out in the river. And without thinking, I jump in that river and <clears throat> uh, swim to the person, pull them out, say, save that person. But suddenly there's another person and another and another. And I spend my whole day pulling people out of the river. And maybe the next day I go back to the river and there's more people. And somewhere in there it hits me, I wonder what's going on upstream. I wonder what's happening that all these people are drowning in the river, are struggling. And so I walk upstream, and in this case, I come to a town where they've decided that uh, those who are too weak to work, those who are unable in this way or that way or the other, they're going to throw them in the river. And that's the problem. And so I can either keep pulling people out of the river, or I can go to that town and say, hey, let's talk about this. Why are you throwing people in the river? Why is this happening? And I can start working on the problem that's causing this. One is compassion, pulling people out of the river. The other is justice, is where I say, I'm going to address the problem. I'm going to, I'm going to take the time to look into that and see what I might be able to do. And not just myself, but maybe others we could get together and do about this. So I'm going to give a couple examples how that's happened in St. John's. Just to show you, it's not that hard. It literally is simply walking with God, letting him lead you in those ways. You know, it's an amazing how the Holy Spirit leads you in, uh, in ways. I'm going to give you a, a quick, I hadn't thought about this till in a long time, but I have a friend who's a very much, he and his wife very much listen to the Holy Spirit, like all the time, hourly, by the minute, and whatever, they, they're crazy. They just do what God shows them, and great things happen. And this guy, he's a pastor. And his wife had had a vision, a dream, about them planting a church in a particular neighborhood. And this is probably 30 years ago. And they knew it was somewhere in Richmond, Virginia, where I lived, kind of in the inner city. And they had a, she had a very specific vision. And so they did a lot of door knocking. And one day, they're, they're, they're walking down this block, 
and they're just door knocking, doing evangelism. And coming the other direction is an African-American pastor knocking doors, and he's had the same, not quite the same dream, but the same vision, the same prompting from God. I'm supposed to plant a church. And they literally bumped into each other going down this street. And they ended up together planting this multiracial congregation that to this day is a thriving example. I mean, the city's given it awards. It has been such a bridge between the black and white community. That was God doing that. So we've kind of gone on this journey where we just let the Holy Spirit lead us and things happen. So for example, one day we get a call from Pickle Elementary School, which is right down the street from us in St. John's, where and, and one of the administrator or one of the uh, staff there, we talked to her and she said, we're having a lot of attendance issues. Um, and I think we've got a lot of kids with asthma and they're missing school because of asthma. And Julie's a nurse and knows about these things. I don't know squat about these things, but you know, instantly she knows what to do. And uh, so she says, well, Seton Hospital, you know, they've got an asthma treatment program that these kids could get involved in. And so we did some exploring and found about 20% of pickle kids had asthma or pre-asthma and they were missing lots of school, which meant they weren't learning, which means they're not gonna be able to do well in life. So Julie called Seton and she called some other health leaders around the city, the head of the clinic system and a few other people. She's fearless, got everybody together around the table and indeed they looked at the emergency room data for that zip code. They started working the problem, just like in that town you go there, ask why is this happening? She started working the problem and found that the top three reasons that kids were going to the emergency room from our zip code in that age group were respiratory issues. The top three reasons kids were landing in the, in the emergency room. So everybody around the table just had this moment like went, of course, we need to tie the asthma program from Seton together with Pickle Elementary to start making sure all of these kids are getting, having inhalers and, and, and getting that taken care of. What's the result? Kids feel better, they can concentrate, attendance goes up. Justice, justice happens. And that one little thing, you would think, oh, it's just asthma. But you multiply that over and over and over by other things. I'm looking at Shirley McGee down here and I'm thinking all the things that she can think of where she worked with families and kids just like this in practical ways. One day we got another call from the school and a uh, family, they said there's been a family where kids have been out for several days. Could you drop by their house and see what's going on? So we went by and it was just tiny, tiny little, little place. And it was a, a new immigrant family and the, both the mom and the dad and one of the kids have strep throat. The dad's especially ill, high fever. They have no health care. They're just trying to wait it out and it's not going well. And obviously this is a family that needs to make money every day. All in this little room, the kids are not, I mean the parents are really, really sick. So Julie calls, I think a doctor from, from Covenant, I believe, from Westlake Presbyterian that we, that we knew, called them up, said, can we get them over immediately? Yes, we went there, got treatment for them, um, you know, kind of, kind of worked through that. But within a few weeks, that family had disappeared because they were so much on the edge of failure, you know, being able to make it. This was enough. And they disappeared. And that taught us something, that we had a lot of families who were right on the edge in our neighborhood. 
that were so close to failing, and these same families had kids in our schools. So I'm going to just fast forward a little bit. Not long after that, we um, got word that our middle school was going to close for academic reasons. They had missed their test scores for a couple of years. So the district was going to close our school, send the kids to two low-performing schools elsewhere, and a terrible thing. And this is where I had kind of my social justice moment. I really, really, really woke up. Before that, I was kind of into it, or it's kind of, you know, I was a little afraid still. I was so angry. I was so angry, and I went home to Julie that night, and I said, this will not happen. This will not stand. They will not close this school. Have you ever had anything like that that's made you really, really angry, that's just not right? And that's why I asked you if you've ever felt injustice or someone around you has has experienced it. This for me was the time when I went, whatever we have to do, we're gonna make sure these kids have a school. 2007. And we kind of carried with that this knowledge of family instability. We asked the teachers, what's the problem? And they said, our, our kids are in and out and in and out. And so we thought, well, what do we do? Remember going to that town, trying to figure it out? And the Lord just guided us. We started a family resource center. We had no money. But we said, we need to start a center that deals with these problems at the school, that helps the families to stabilize. City of Austin, three days later, calls us and said, we heard what you're trying to do, and we will donate a half-time social worker. That's the Lord. 30 groups partner together, including Covenant, to provide for that. A Hispanic church provided 18 health, volunteer health workers for it. And within the year, families at Webb had stabilized and at Pickle and the grades started going up and all this. We didn't know what we were doing, but the Lord knew, and we just brought what we had to the table in that. And today, we have a nonprofit. We have six family resource centers that Julie directs. We're working at 19 AISD schools, and we're starting to work with three schools in El Paso, right on the border with Juarez. That's the Lord. That's justice. We just keep walking upstream, walking this journey with him. So I know in Covenant, if I, if we, I just looked around the room, I could find others who've been on the same journey. Kali Rourke with Seedling Foundation. Unbelievable what they do with children whose parents are incarcerated. Um, and I can I name so many others who are doing IHN. We depend so much on IHN and the work of Covenant volunteers for homeless families. By the way, Webb at any one time has 10% homeless families. Um, so, but one last point I want to make. Um, you know, this idea of going upstream, figuring it out, compassion, justice. Um, sometimes you have to relocate, like I did to the St. John neighborhood to just find out. But one last thing, we also have to, in justice, change our position. We, by nature, a lot of us are educated. We've, you know, we're, we're go, go, uh, go at it people. We have to learn to receive as well as give. And Julie and I have really had to learn this in St. John to be open to being needy as well as being the people with the answers sometimes. And I want to I want to tell a quick story to close here about a uh, uh, just an adventure on this journey um, that back and this is back in the mid 80s. I was a youth group uh, director in, a, in Richmond at a Presbyterian church, 
and I was teaching part-time at an alternative high school in an inner-city neighborhood that was really, really rough. I loved that neighborhood. Satan put so much fear in people's minds about places. So many people wouldn't go into this neighborhood. It was a great place. Never had any problems in the five years that I worked part-time in that neighborhood. So I would take my kids sometimes down to that neighborhood just to hang out. we go play in the park with kids. And uh, partly it was to get them over fear, and partly, you know, it was, to, it was to play with kids and reach out to kids in the neighborhood. And one Sunday afternoon, we went down after church, and we were, we were down there, and we were just walking around the neighborhood, and we came to, past a uh, Baptist church, beautiful music coming in from, from the inside. And um, it was the uh, citywide uh, gospel choir festival, kind of like Jazz Sunday. Just beautiful, beautiful music. And we're dressed in jeans and t-shirts and these people, nicely dressed people in hats and suits and everything. We stopped, said, what's going on? They told us, they said, well, they, and they said, come on in. Bunch of white kids and the white youth group leader, come on in, join us. And we're like, no, 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 we're not dressed. No, 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 please. We went in, it was packed. They moved people so we could have a good seat. I mean, amazing grace they showed to us. And it was fabulous. And for these kids, it was such a wonderful experience of a positive experience for them, so much so that after, after the thing ended, they were talking to all of us. Um, they invited us to come back for vacation Bible school a few weeks later, and so our kids jointly taught vacation Bible school at this, at this church um, in inner city Richmond, and that began a relationship there. But you know, it was, we had to be the receivers. We could have said, oh, we're not dressed, you know, we're, you know, and kind of, but we had to be the ones to take what they had to offer us. And Richmond's an interesting place in that, you know, all this in the, is in the context of Richmond was just, just probably about a mile from this church is where the first slave auction in America was held, just right up the street. So when you're talking about things like that, you're always talking in terms of a lot of injustice. And yet, those relationships that build between giving and receiving, are, that's, that's that holy mountain, that's God's vision for where we're headed with this. So when we help a family at Webb, we get back, and God is working us towards this time where there won't be any injustice, where there won't be any slavery around the world, where there won't be people, children who are not able to reach their God-given potential, where there won't be kids who can't go to school because they don't have access to health care. We're on and on and on. That's God's vision. And God's vision where we'll all be reconciled. So I just encourage you, if you're not on the journey to God's justice, just let loose of your fear. Head on on that, that vision. If you are on the vision, ask others to, or on the journey, ask others to pray for you to keep going on that. Let's work together to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Amen.